Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. We're in uh, the third part, as I said, of a series entitled Different Way. Today, I want to talk to you about a different way to see ourselves, a different way to see ourselves. We've talked about a different way to live, a different way to think, um, the issues of truth last week. And uh, so today, we're going to take us into a little bit of a a different direction here today. Um, I was caught a little bit last week because I I said a, a series of statements and said this is what God's view. We, we quoted Madeleine Langle, you have a view, I have a view, God has view. And so he has the actual understanding, perspective, and truth of what's taking place. Then I made a statement, uh, several statements as, as far as God's view. And people are like, okay, so you, you know, God says this, you're saying this. I, I am because of what we see in Scripture and our understanding of who God is. And so I want to unpack that a little bit more in detail today. John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus is facing Pilate, and he answers Pilate and says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, but the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this was a test that Pilate failed without even knowing. He responds as a true Roman of that period, and an American would today, what is truth? What is it? It's kind of a relative issue. Man's laws change. Near my house is one of those Michigan turnarounds, okay, on 16 Mile. And it used to have a stop sign there. And um, I have known people uh, close to me who didn't obey the stop sign, went around and got a ticket. Because they just stopped, there was no traffic. So they went through it. What was particularly frustrating is it was about three weeks later when that sign was changed to a yield sign. So the same action was now legal, whereas before it was illegal, and vice versa. Man's laws change. The laws of reality, the laws of truth, and God's laws don't change. They're not like man's laws, yield sign, stop sign, let's switch them the next day. They're more like the law of fire. If you go home today and you light a match and you put your hand on top of it, you're going to get burned. No matter how much you sit here and say, I don't believe in fire, I find no basis in it, I am in fact fireproof. You can say everything you want to say, the reality is the law of fire is it burns, no matter what happens. There are certain laws, certain things are immutable, and we ignore those at our peril. That is truth, objective and real. 
Recently, I was conscious of, um, if you're familiar with Jada Smith, she's Will Smith's wife, and she has a forum called The Red Table. You come and you can share whatever you want to share and speak. So her daughter, Willow, age 20, was there and came out at this time as polyamorous, which means she believes she can be in multiple relationships sexually at the same time. And so her statement coming out at this red table before her mother and the entire world was, uh, she's got a new record out. I don't know, or new album. I'm not sure if, if, I don't want to be cynical and say that her statements now are related to generating uh, attention for that, but the timing is interesting. She said this, with polyamory, I feel like the main foundation is the freedom to be able to create a relationship style that works for you and not just stepping into monogamy because that's what everyone around you says is the right thing to do, says Willem. Later adding that she couldn't see herself having more than two partners at once. Okay, so she's putting a limit on herself, self-limiting, because polyamorous can be as many as you want. So she's going to say, I'm going to limit that to two. So I was like, how can I structure the way that I approach relationships with that in mind? Also, she says, doing research into polyamory, well, the main reasons divorces happen is because of infidelity. And so in her thinking, if there's no problem with infidelity, because we can invite whoever we want to in our relationship, therefore there's no damage to the relationship. So because infidelity destroys relationships, I'm going to be polyamorous. Well, her mother's response was, I totally get it. Wanting to set up your life in a way that you can have what it is that you want. I think anything goes as long as the intentions are clear. You know what I mean. That is current culture. The definition of marriage has changed. One of the issues on top of that as well has been the idea of even sexuality. It's now a spectrum instead of a binary. We say this because according to the cultural icons, we have evolved. This is what we thought prior to World War I, when everyone optimistic and said World Wars will never happen again. We've evolved past that. Then World War I hit, disillusioned an entire generation. Then we had World War II, etc., etc., etc. But we've evolved. There's a name, and you'll see posters on this coming in the future, um, named Kira Bell. Who is she? Kira Bell was 14 when she first began to identify as a boy. Two years later, she was prescribed puberty blockers and testosterone. At 20, she underwent a double mastectomy to remove both breasts. At 23, now, she identifies again with her biological sex and recently won a lawsuit against the doctors in the UK who allowed her to go down this path at such a young age. At the time, Kira believed the treatments would allow her to, quote, achieve happiness, she said. I was stuck in severe depression and anxiety. I felt extremely out of place in the world. I was really struggling with puberty and my sexuality, and I had no one to talk these things through with. When she sought medical help, she was given the impression that the doctors and therapists would be neutral. That wasn't the case. Quote, once I arrived at the gender identity clinic, I was not challenged in any sense, and I was affirmed as a boy from the very beginning. When I was questioning my identity, there was nowhere to find support that didn't affirm, in her words now, the delusion of being in the wrong body. No organizations existed that might be able to tell me that it was okay to be a girl who didn't like stereotypically girly things, and that I was no less female because I am same-sex attracted. Kira began questioning the ideology behind her transition when she found herself upset with the case of Rachel uh, Dolezal. You might recall her. She was a white college professor who identified as black. And there's a lot of reaction to that, especially as the black community, saying you can't just decide to identify in this way. And she was seen to be a fraud in that case. 
Kira's words, I couldn't come up with a reason why being transgender was more valid than transracial. It was the start of a slow wake-up call. I had finished my physical transition, and my health was beginning to decline. It was at that point I realized I didn't want to live a lie, and it was really important to be myself. Kira says she looks back at her transition with sadness. Her treatments have left her with permanent facial hair and a lower voice. Quote, there was nothing wrong with my body. And this phrase, I was just lost. I was just lost and without proper support. I should have been challenged on the proposals or the claims that I was making for myself, and I think that would have made a big difference as well if I was just challenged on the things that I was saying. In December of 2020, British court ruled in her favor, and now in the UK, um, you're not able to get that same type of assignment or treatment until you're an older age. There's a lot of questions about this stuff in general. Nobody knows yet medically what the effect of going on for life with puberty blockers and, and um, um, hormone uh, treatment and everything else of this nature. It's literally a type of experimentation that's going in play. Uh, when I was studying psychology, which was one of my undergrad degrees um, back in the 1900s, um, granted, 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 okay. Um, we understood gender dysphoria to be a type of uh, disorder. Um, it often exhibited amongst boys ages three to five. Uh, in fact, many, if not all men, have gone through this at some time. You may not remember it, but it's something that, is, it, that happens in that process. The vast overwhelming of the 90-plus percentile come through that without any issues if properly supported in the home life and with models that are there. What's happened recently is something called rapid onset, onset dysphoria. And this has happened um, in teenagers who've shown no prior dysphoria. It's also happening massively in women. And, um, I mean, I've seen numbers that are ranging anywhere, depending on who's doing the studies, between 3,000 to 5,000 percent increase in girls wanting to transition to become boys. Um, this is a massive, massive change that is caught in current society right now and has not been part of the past at all. This is not a discussion on transgender, nor is it a discussion on polyamory. This is a much deeper discussion. If you want to know more on the transgender issue, I would recommend Abigail Schreier's book uh, entitled Irreversible Damage. And uh, you can look into other things in regards to this. But one of the things you should realize is that there are many, many people who have detransitioned, both male and female. Uh, in other words, they, they did the opportunity and did everything else and then found that that was not resolving the, um, the sense of alienation or the angst that was inside. I want to suggest to you, in part, that all of us have a degree of alienation and angst. As we grow older, we cover it better or we resolve it better, but all of us have this. I think this is a baseline issue of our alienation from God. And we try to find quick fixes to resolve that, whether it's changing our gender or whether it's jobs or people or other situations or circumstances. But until we resolve that issue between God and ourselves, um, these things are not resolved. We don't assign sex. We recognize and acknowledge it as a natural reality. Gender activists, though, are saying sex is assigned at birth so they can create the space of saying that you can be reassigned by hormones and surgery, which gives you a lifetime commitment, incidentally, to the people who are supplying the hormones. There is a financial issue involved here. American Civil Liberties Union declared that the idea that, quote, sex is binary, apparent, and is apparent at birth, and identifiable through singular biological characteristics is a myth. 
Now, what science they base this on, I don't know, because there's no science that would support that. Um, instead, it supports quite the opposite. Men are not women, and women are not men. Um, we have this great gender confusion today, but it's only part of a wider confusion on the issues of truth and reality. If you do want to get into the discussion, you know, whether a man is superior to a woman or vice versa, I would offer to you this statement that a man is absolutely superior at being a man. That a woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. But when a man tries to be a woman or a woman tries to be a man, that at that point in time, you have something, in fact, inferior. These conversations and discussions, as I said, aren't based on science, because if we go to the science, for example, psychologist David P. Schmidt, who has completed exhaustive cross-cultural study on gender and personality, he was writing in a recent issue of Psychology Today, Schmidt goes against this theory that men and women are basically the same. Schmidt contends that research from neuroscience, genetics, cross-cultural psychology, and other scientific fields is conclusive and overwhelming. There are, in fact, psychological differences between men and women, and they affect matters as trivial as sensitivity to smelly socks, which men have no sensitivity to at all. <laughs> That's my statement, not the science. Just have to accept that with us, ladies. We just, we don't and as significant as susceptibility to disorders, such as depression and autism, meta-analysis of research has found women to be more empathetic, while men are more prone to sexual jealousy. Men tend to be better able to rotate a dimensional object in their mind and recognize, say, an upside-down character, whereas women excel at locating an object in a visual field and remembering exactly where Big Ben is on a map of London. Men and women are different from puberty, size, strength, risk-taking, mortality, and reproduction, obviously. Next week, we celebrate Mother's Day. Schmidt laments that just as all the evidence is mounting, quote, denial of differences has become rampant. Attempts at respectful and productive conversations about biological sex differences often end with name-calling, like genetic terminist, or outright cancellation of events, not to mention the very public firing of a Google software engineer for writing a memo in regards to the subject. Come this August, we'll have been in our home for 24 years, a home that we built, when we built it, we didn't have any money left over to do a patio or anything else, so the back sloping port of our yard, we had to have steps up to the sliding door, and so we put three steps of treated wood, and that was our deck. That was our deck for like 10 years plus, okay? We would go out on our deck and sit on the steps with our little styrofoam, and it was very pitiful, okay? But that was our thing. A couple of years back, I'm not even sure how long now, it's probably been over 10 years, something like that, we built a patio. We had to have the, uh, the driveway redone, so we said at the same time we'll roll it on in and get a price on the deal. So we did a patio. In order to do this patio, we had to also then do a retaining wall. It's about five blocks up or so. Now, it's been years since we've done that, but recently I've noticed that the last, 
the upper top two or three courses of, of stone are bulging and going outwards. There's something going wrong. So I've called in some professionals. They said, yes, there's some water getting in. It's pushing out. If something's not done, eventually it will collapse the wall, which will destroy the patio over years of time and, and dismantle things. And so I'm going to have to have it repaired. The whole thing? No. They said, the foundation is solid. And the first course or two, based on that foundation, is solid. All we have to do is take down these top three, and then we can rebuild it upon that foundation. You have a view. I have a view. God has view. So if we want to understand what's happening in the world around us, when everyone's view of themselves is becoming so distorted, anorexia, bulimia, on dramatic uprises, our view of marriage distorted, our view of our own sexuality and who we are being distorted, then we need to go back to the foundation to figure out how and where did this thing bulge out? Where is this thing breaking down? If we do that, we go right back to the very beginning, right to the foundational statements of your and my creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the sky, birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is probably nothing more powerful practically that you're going to come across in Scripture or that has affected the course of politics, culture, and man's perspective and understanding of himself and the world around him than this phrase here in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, you and I. In the image of God. What this means is that human life, regardless of race and stature or gender, has an intrinsic value totally apart from everything else. There is intrinsic value to every human being. This philosophy has shaped the world around us and is found in Scripture first and foremost. We find that being made in the image of God, there are certain aspects. For example, mankind alone has this tendency to look up. All the animals, all the other beings, there's, a, there's a, a horizontal perspective. But mankind alone looks up and ponders the stars and, and considers eternity. Mankind alone has a variety of facial expressions. One of the things that was so disconcerting when this pandemic happened at first is that none of you were present. We were doing through live stream. I had no idea how you were reacting to anything. You could have turned off the TV and I wouldn't know. You don't do that right now, you, specifically you, okay? And then when we got back, everyone was here and it was now getting used to that again, but everyone's masked. I still can't see what you're thinking. All I know, you're sticking your tongues at me the whole time. There's something about seeing faces I don't like. I've said this a thousand times. I will read every email sent to me. I read very fast. I type very slow. So I read all emails. I respond to none. I'll give you a call. I'll catch you in the hallway. I need to see your face. I want to see your body language. I want to read how you're receiving things or if I've offended you or if I'm reacting in some force or another. Only mankind has this type of facial expression. Mankind alone has a sense of shame. We are the only entity on the planet that blushes. We still don't know fully why. 
but we alone blush or have a sense of shame. Mankind, male and female, we alone speak. We have language. Another entity has that. Humankind alone possesses personality, morality, and spirituality. We have personality. We have knowledge, feelings, and a will. This sets us apart. We have morality. We're able to make moral judgments. We have a conscience. I don't care how much your dog looks like he's sorry for having peed on that carpet. He's not. He's just upset that you're upset because he has no sense of conscience. And don't get me started on cats because we're at peace right now, okay? We're at peace and I'm trying to maintain that peace. But there's no moral judgments. There's no conscience. But in mankind, there is. As humanity, we possess spirituality. We were made for communion with one another, but first and foremost, with God. First and foremost, with God. This is how we're supposed to operate. This is who we are. And the second aspect of this makes it clear that there is not a spectrum of sexuality, but there is male and female. That's it. Now, we sit here and go, wait a minute then that way God made me the way I am. God made us all, but he also then gave us the world and said, rule it. And we promptly screwed it all up and sin entered into that world. That's why we're wearing masks today. That's why disease exists. That's why war exists. That's why sexual dysfunction exists and identity and confusion and alienation. All that is the product of sin that has entered our world. Before we go too far back, let's stop because some say, well, Jesus would have approached all this differently because Jesus is just so loving and kind and great. If Jesus is God, then what he says matters. And what he says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, when he's challenged on the issue of divorce and he's discussing marriage, he said it this way. Haven't you read, he replied, Matthew 19, that at the beginning, at the foundations, the creator made them male and female. He defined marriage as male and female. He defines gender as male and female. Don't let someone tell you that Jesus is going to approve of a whole bunch of things that he made clear he did not. He goes back to those foundational statements that gender is male and female, that marriage is male and female. In Ephesians, the writer there uses marriage as an illustration of the church. For this reason, a man's going to leave his father and mother till he become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is used between male and female as an illustration of the church in linkage with God. In Acts chapter 17, the Berean Jews were of more noble character, we're told, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. To see if what Paul said was true. Our baseline, our foundation is found in Scripture. It stands the test of time. It stands before all man's laws that change it deals with immutable, unchangeable truth, and it's from that that we can find an understanding of ourselves and the world around us. If we pursue Scripture and prayer, then we have the discernment to understand the things and how to deal with them. And this, to me, is one of the most critical things that I wish I could impart to each person, and I can't. It's an individual situation to individual people at individual times that I think you can only grasp by truly soaking yourself in Scripture and in prayer. 
I'm not going to give you a list of things of how you should approach a transgendered individual other than with compassion and care and respect or how you should handle some of the situations you're dealing with in here. Each one can be unique, and it requires discernment. When I was on staff here, my father was my, my pastor and my boss. I was better at leadership things than he was. He would seek my input at times. Other times I, I offered it without being asked on how to handle a situation, a difficult meeting he was about to walk into. Sometimes it was very effective, but more often than not, he'd take what I said into that meeting to address a specific situation, and it worked. But the moment that happened, the dynamic in the room changed, and he wasn't prepared for what happened next, and he felt sabotaged by doing the first step because it changed the dynamic. It was frustrating to both of us because I couldn't lay that kind of thing into him any more than he could put other things into me. Each one of us need to have a discernment and realize that context circumstance, the level of relationship that you have, that there is no one-size-fits-all. There are times that, that you need to speak, be quiet, and that is not compromise. There are times, other times you need to speak out or the moment is lost, sometimes strongly, sometimes quietly, always with love and respect. Discernment. We need to recognize that we are not autonomous individuals. The term autonomous means having its own laws. Our society today says that I have my own law. I decide who I am. My creator does not dictate to me even the basic identity of my sexuality. I choose every aspect of my relationships, polyamorous, whatever it is, however I'm going to do it, I decide. It is Invictus gone mad. Invictus is a poem. It was one that I actually ascribed to when I was younger without understanding the anti-God aspects of it. It's this strong statement of taking control of your fate and your future. And it ends with the lines, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. At its core, though, it says there is no other rulership. There is not God. I decide. It was Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma bomber's favorite poem, incidentally. And this is the view of our world today. I decide. Nobody else. Not God. Not anybody. But that's not the reality of it. The reality is every one of us have been marred by sin. However you identify, whatever roles you play or think, the image of God has been marred and damaged, and so we struggle in this world with pain and sickness and issues and conflict. That is the bad news. But the good news is also found in the same passages of Scripture that we find so challenging. For in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we're told that the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, is saying that he has come to seek and save that which was lost. I'm stricken by Kirabel's statement, I was so lost. There are so many of us, even in this room now, whatever your identification, persuasion, circumstances, or roles that have been marred so deeply by sin that we feel the sense of alienation and lostness. It may not affect our sexuality, it may not affect our work or our other relationships, but in the heart of our soul, there's a sense of lostness, and Christ came to seek and save you and me. In John 3.16, you know it, but have you heard and understood the words, for God so loved the world and you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die lost, but have eternal life? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn 
the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This was the purpose that Jesus looks at us genuinely and really sees us for who we are, sees the damage and the markedness within us and still loves us despite all of that and comes and dies and sacrifices himself for us. In his book, Transgender, author Vaughn Roberts draws on a distinction made by John Wyatt between the Lego kit view of the human body and the art restoration view of the human body. I loved Legos. You can make anything out of them and mix and move. Somehow, whatever I did always ended up either being guns or spaceships. But they could do anything with it by just a movement and an adjustment, snapping and a replacing. According to the Lego kit view, if we have just emerged from the primeval slime by chance, then there is no design whatsoever in how we happen to be and who we are. The structure of the human body is value-free, so if you want to change your sex, that's fine. Or, or you want to do this or that, whatever it is. You're the captain of your soul. You're, you're the determinant. But the art restoration view acknowledges that we are not, in fact, machines. We are flawed masterpieces. If you see a work of art and you're asked to restore it, you don't look at it and say, well, I think it would look much nicer with, with um, uh, let's just say, a car in there instead of an ancient cart. To do that is to break the code of the art restorer. Art restorers respect the work and know that their job is to bring out the artist's original intention. They work at cleaning and restoring the vivid colors. They study the work and the painter so they can carefully get it back to what it once was. They work so that people can see the original in all its glory. When I was 15 years old, I saw the Sistine Chapel in Rome, and it was gorgeous. God reaching out and touching Adam in recline and recline and bringing life and all that. It was fantastic. There had been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of, of dirt and soot and smoke from candles that had obscured it, and it was still gorgeous. A couple of years ago, I went back as an adult. They had restored it. For the first time in hundreds of years, they'd mainstakingly gone over the whole of the ceiling and had restored it. And I was shocked by the vividness of the colors. But they didn't change red to purple or green to blue. They kept the original colors. I could even more clearly see what the artist was intending and what he was trying to bring out in that moment of time. And it was stunning. You and I, how do you see yourself? You're not a Lego kit to be mixed and matched. You're not an animal. You are so radically different. You are unique. Your uniqueness is stamped all over you. I want to give you just a few moments of understanding of this. You know, for example, that, that our fingerprints are totally unique. Everybody's fingerprint is alone. There, there's, there's something different about, about these swirls, these microscopic practical little things, and what else that you have. How much your DNA, that, that incredible, complex encoding that could never have happened by accident, that defines everything about you, totally unique to you. 
you know that your brainwave pattern is absolutely unique? Now, some of you have been told, oh, yeah, your brain is really unique. <laughs> and they're right. Not in the way they mean, but, but the way that God means, it's unique. Your brainwave is totally unique. Your way of thinking, perceiving, laughing, it's completely you. Retinal scans, you hear those are being used. The eye is incredibly complex. It's the only part of the body that doesn't age. There's so much emotion that is packed into just the eyes of a human being as we look into the eyes of someone. Retinal scans, voice. The voice pattern you have is, again, completely unique. There are times my mother would call even at the house, and I'd be there and answer instead of my dad, and she'd think for just a minute she's talking to my father because our voices were similar. But very quickly she could realize, oh, no, that I'd try to play it sometime. Well, yes, Naomi, what would you like? You're not Leo. <laughs> Too bad. I was going to say we should up the boys' allowance, you know. <laughs> it's unique to you. Your voice. A bunch of you, when you leave here, you're going to sometime today reach for your phone, and in order to activate it and get access to it, it's going to scan your face. I want to say that it might reject some of your faces, but we won't go there. <laughs> Why? Because your face is utterly and completely unique. And so facial recognition works. This morning is not about sexuality. It's not about marriage per se. It's not about all the ways our society has mishandled truth and, and has gone its own way. This is instead an opportunity for you to see yourself a different way. Not in the way that you see yourself. Not in the way that others have projected upon you year after year after year. But to see yourself this morning the way God sees you as a masterpiece, utterly unique. Fingerprints, eyes, brain, voice, face, your very DNA, all uniquely marked and created. And though marred by sin, you have intrinsic value by your mere existence, utterly and totally, never to be duplicated, never to be replicated never in all of time to be repeated. What is mankind, the psalmist says, that you're mindful of us? Human beings that you care for us. The writer in Ephesians says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so in the face of all the other voices clamoring for your attention, trying to define you, trying to divide us, I call you back as a people to the foundations of the world, to a man and a woman in communion with God, in relation with one another. For he came to seek and to save us. I call you once again, as I did last week, to Psalm chapter 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth, the only reality that exists, and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, my Restorer, and my hope is in you all day long.
whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever it is that has marked you. Christ came. God posted prophetically for generations, but he came in real life in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, to seek and save that which was marred and lost, to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sin, our distortion, our lies. Embrace that truth. Reject the lies that are being pressed upon you. Lord, as we continue on into our lives, I pray that we would have now a different way to see ourselves and in doing so, Lord, a different way to see the world around us and, and our fellow humans and how we interact with them. Guide us, Lord, into the fullness of what you intended for us to be as your people. Guide us, I pray, by your Holy Spirit. Give us discernment and understanding to know when to stand without compromise and when to be gentle and quiet and thoughtful, when to speak and when not to. Guide us in these things, we pray by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.